Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, Genesis chapter number 35 this morning. Genesis chapter number 35 this morning. Familiar portion of Scripture starts off very, very familiar to you. The Bible says in verse number 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Now, here in a few moments, we're going to lay some groundwork, but I want you to notice that statement because this is a statement that is made of a going back to. The Bible says, and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest. You see, this is going to be a, a return if you would. And this morning, I want to ask you the question that I've had to ask myself many, many times, and I continue to ask myself this question, is that do I desire to live a Christ-centered life? This is one of the great struggles of the Christian life. This is one of the great struggles within the daily Christian life, if you would. Because to live a Christ-centered life means you remove all of your will and say, Lord, I want to do your will. It means you remove all of your motives and say, God, I want to have your motives. It means that you remove all of your perspective and say, God, give me your eyes to see what you would want to do. It's a hard thing, but as you begin to to say, Lord, I want to live a Christ-centered life, it means your eyes are fixed on Him. You see, as you think about the the, the Christ-centered life, and you think about that word center, if you would, there are some biblical truths to that word center that you even see today within just the normal day-to-day life and just society as a whole, within the job, the workplace, the word center. You see, that that word center, as you begin to think about it, it it speaks of a, a foundational and fundamental spot. And it speaks of something that is the main point or the most important thing. If the center is off, then you will notice. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 11, For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You talk about the greatest foundation that is found and rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you're trying to root your foundation in anything else, you'll find that it is like sinking sand. You'll find that it has cracks in the foundation. You'll find that it is not complete. It is not perfect. But when you think about that word center and you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, it speaks of him being a foundational and fundamental part of the Christian faith. He is that. It speaks of the the point of focus. It speaks of that which is the point of attention or focus, if you would. You think of a a bullseye, if you would, and it's at the center. That's what you're trying to hit. You think of the preaching of God's Word. You're trying to to get right through to the heart because that is the the, the real direct spot to which you're trying to reach. You're not trying to reach the minds because your mind can change. You're trying to reach the heart. And as you think about Scripture, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the... Center point. That is the reference point. In Philippians 1, verse 20, the Bible says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a reference point. That is the goal. That is the end goal that Christ would be magnified. There's a point of reference. There's a point of center. It is at the forefront, if you would. It is something that is considered to be the central theme. It is something that is considered to be the most important truth. It's predominant. It has preeminence. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse number 5, the Bible says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. You see, there are some things that we see in Scripture that are the center point. And I ask you this morning, do you live or do you desire to live a Christ-centered life? 
If you desire to live a life that just kind of goes and it's, it's making its way through, you'll find that Christ is not the center. But if you desire to live a life that is flourishing, if you desire to live a life that is yielded, if you desire to live a life where Christ has all of you, not just some of you, you will find that it's much easier to live a Christ-centered life. A Christ-centered life is something that you find to be a struggle within even those who lived uh, and we read about in Scripture. There are many of Paul's days where I believe he was living a Christ-centered life, but there are moments where he might have had a mislapse. You think about Peter, you think about others in Scripture that you admire, and you read their stories, and you say, man, if I could just have the faith that that individual had. Can I remind you, they still struggled with keeping Christ the center at times. But it ought to be a desire of ours. You see, in this passage of Scripture, in Genesis chapter number 35, you see that taking place. You see a, a refocus, if you would. You see a revitalization, a, a shifting back to, if you would. And if you're ever going to live a, a Christ-centered life, then you have to address some things that we see in Genesis chapter number 35. It's not enough just to, to go through life and see glimpses of what Christ could do in your life. As you center your life around the things of God and you center your life around the Lord Himself, you'll find that you find much joy in those things. It's not drudgery anymore, but you actually take much joy in it. It's not something that you have to do. It's something that you get to do. It's not something that you, you, you know, you occasionally will do. You'll desire to do it all the days of your life. And as you come to Genesis chapter number 35, the Bible goes on to remind us of this powerful truth of living a Christ-centered life and some things that have to be addressed. Notice again what the Bible says. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And then Jacob said unto his household, there's no, there's no pause here. Or there's, there's no holding back here. There's no hesitation here. The, the command has been given. Arise, go up to Bethel. Verse number two says, then Jacob. There was no thinking about it. If God said it, he was doing it. Unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel. I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. As you think about this passage of scripture, and we're going to continue reading on here in just a few moments, there are some very simple truths that we must think about as we think about our relationship with the Lord. This morning in our Sunday school hour, we have just recently started a, a series on the whys of Christianity because all of us know today the what's. We know what to do, we know what to say, we know where to go, we know all of those many things, but the question that must be answered, not is just the what, but the why. It has to be answered, why do we do these things? Why do we go about this way? Why do, Why is a relationship with God so important? Why is it necessary? Why is it vital within our lives? Because some of you have walked through the doors this morning, and maybe you're struggling financially, and you're thinking, how am I going to get through the rest of the week? Well, put God first. And some of you have walked through the doors of the, the church this morning and you're struggling with your interests. You say, I want to be all out and I want to be sold out to God, but I kind of have some interests here too. It's because you're struggling to keep God at the center front. I remember as a 16-year-old young man being taught this hard lesson and then later on in Bible college and later on whenever I was pastoring that I must keep Christ at the center of it all. It's not about all of the extracurricular. It's not about all of the, the hobbies. It's not about all of the fun. It's not all about all those kids. Those are not bad things unless they become an idol within our lives. You see, I still love sports. I still love hobbies. I still love doing certain things. But I've learned a hard lesson early on that I can't allow those things to control my life. 
I can't allow those to be at the, the forefront of my life. And I remember even just the, just the other day in the office, as we were talking, Brother John and I, for just a few moments, talking about what defines us. And I think we were talking about a book. But I remember even the illustration that was being used was where I was whenever in the middle of Bible college, my entire freshman and sophomore year, every single time that someone was talking to me, it was always about basketball. And I remember being so frustrated and annoyed with that going into my junior year. Not because I didn't like talking sports, but I hated the fact that that was what I was defined by. That when people thought of Josh Farmer, they thought of basketball. And I, it just would annoy the fire out of me to the point where I said, why, why is this something that I'm just classified as a basketball player? I'm more than a basketball player. As a matter of fact, I don't want my life to be defined by being a basketball player. I want to be an individual that when people look at me, they say, that is a child of God that desires God's touch on his life. That is a Christian. That is someone that is seeking after God. That is what I want. I don't want to be defined as a basketball player. I don't want to be defined as a good student. I don't want to be defined as just a good guy. I want to be defined as a Christian that is making a difference for the Lord. That's what I wanted. I didn't want all of those many things, but I realized rather quickly it was because for so long Christ was not at the center of my life. You see, the way we approach our lives, the way we live our lives is many times how often people define us. The things that we give all of our time and energy and efforts to is oftentimes our definition. You think about some of you maybe have walked through the doors of the church and right at this very moment you're struggling maybe with relationships. You're saying, oh, I just, you know, my family's struggling, my marriage is struggling. Let me ask you this question. Is God at the center of your life? And some of you have walked the doors of the church maybe this morning and you're struggling with keeping your schedule in order. Let me ask you this question. Is God at the center of your life? You see, we live in a mentality within our society today that we, when the the opportunity is presented, we have to take up on it right away. Let me ask you the question. Just because it's an opportunity doesn't mean that it was an opportunity sent from God. You see, there are many opportunities that, that, that the devil sends our way to to disrupt us and distract us from doing the will of God for our lives. You say, well, what do you mean? I remember graduating college and, and uh, getting a, a piece of mail in the mail and me and Kelly having a conversation because there was a piece of mail that had my name on it about going and playing basketball for a year. And I remember entertaining that for a season. Can I share with you? That wasn't God's will for my life. That was just a, an opportunity that was presented. But guess what I had to do? I had to pray about that and say, Lord, is this your will? You see, we have to consider these things. We have to ask ourselves those hard questions because if we're not careful, we just take every opportunity as though it was sent from God. And that's not always the case. There are some things within this life. I've seen Christians who have taken opportunity after opportunity after opportunity that drove them further from God instead of driving them closer to God. And it's a danger within our lives. We ask ourselves the question, is my life Christ-centered? You're struggling with schedules. You're struggling with just trouble in general. And you say, I have so much trouble in my life. Where is Christ within your life? Is he center? You see, we ask ourselves all of these questions. And you go and you study the life of Jacob. And you'll find that Jacob is known for being a very passive individual. There are some things within Jacob's life as you study his life out that you look back and you say, man, that was a troubled time. That was a troubled time. Why? Because he was passive about some things. There were some things where he did not allow Christ to be center within his life. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 3, that we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that we also, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
I've recently been reading a book on the, the, the deeper Christian life, and there are some things that I read just the other day that were such a help to me that I passed along to our Sunday school teachers that I pray will be a help to you when it comes to the daily Christian life. Every single day, one of the things that I've recently really intently and intimately tried to do is take time to meet with God first and foremost. Before I ever allow my mind to go and entertain the, the daily routine and entertain the goals and the things that need to be accomplished, one of the things that I've tried to do is take some time to say, Lord, let me meet with you first. Let me make sure that my priority is not the hobbies. Let me make sure that my priority is not the goals. Let me make sure that my priority is not getting these tasks done. But Lord, make me help me to understand that my priority needs to be you. And out of you and out of spending time with you, all of those other things will fall into the rightful place. Taking time to meet with the Lord on a daily basis, specifically, intimately. Second thing I've truly tried to do is taking time until I know that I've truly drawn near unto the Lord. You know how this is. There's a difference. There's a difference in waking up every single day and saying, all right, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And you go ahead, you open your Bible just as you did on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, but it's Thursday. And so you open your Bible and you're, you're, you're trying to do that, but you cannot get your mind off of those tasks. You cannot get your mind off of those goals. You cannot get your mind off of those, uh, those hobbies or whatever you have to do for the day. And so you're constantly thinking of those things. And so you breeze by all of what the Lord is trying to do in your life. And you breeze by actually truly meeting with God because, well, it's now become a checklist. But then you go back and you say, well, I took time to meet with God, didn't I? No, 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 no. Meet with God until you truly understand that you've met with God. You know how many days that we walk into the house of God and we sit in our chairs and we sit there and we listen to the message or we sit there and we listen to the preaching and we endure the entire service, but that's exactly what we do is we endure it. And we miss it. We miss all that God was trying to do because we did not come into the house of God with a desire to hear from God. We came in and we were enduring all of what was going on. We endured the hymn singing. We endured the choir special. We endured uh, the, the fellowship time. We endured the special. We endured the, the offertory, the preaching, the invitation. We endured all of those things. And then we walk out the doors unchanged and unmoved because we were just simply enduring it. You see, the house of God is not a place that you ought to walk into just trying to endure. And the Christian life was never intended for us to live in such a way where we're enduring these things. No, the Christian life, the Lord desires for us to fellowship with Him daily and do it in an intimate matter. Taking time to not only meet with God, but taking time to understand that the Lord wants us to draw near unto Him so that when we leave the presence of God in that moment of meeting with Him, that we know that He has set everything in order and that we are allowing Him to guide our steps throughout the rest of the day. You say, and you're saying we need to do this daily? Absolutely. You see, it only takes one step to get us off track. I learned that very quickly. I remember playing basketball and, and remember my coach teaching me this valid or this very important lesson because we would come off of screens oftentimes and the screen would be set and I'm coming off to receive the ball and my coach would say, why are you taking the ball and you're dribbling this way? He said, your step needs to be turned rather quickly. As you're coming off of the ball, you don't need to go and make a loop. He said, you need to take a direct action and go straight to the hole. And I remember that principle growing up and now relaying that to the Christian life that there are far too many Christians that take all of these things and we're taking these principles that we get into the house of God and we're just dribbling them all the way around into a loop. And all of a sudden, we're missing it. 
Instead of taking it directly and we miss those things, it's not just about meeting with God. It's about taking the time to truly meet with God and not write it off, but say, Lord, I've truly met with you. Taking time, the third thing that I've realized is taking time to humble myself each and every single day. Can I ask you the question? I want you to ask yourself this question. Where would you be without Jesus? I know where I'd be. I wouldn't be right here before you. Where would my marriage be without Jesus? Where would my home be without Jesus? Where would my children be without Jesus in their daddy's life and their mommy's life and trying to steer them and pointing them to Jesus? Where would this church be without Jesus? You say, ah, I can point you to a lot of churches that are without Jesus today. You see, where would we be without the Lord? And sometimes we think so highly of ourselves and we forget to put ourselves in our rightful place and realize that it is God that has done all of this. That it is God that is working within us and working before us. And as you come and you study the life of Jacob for just a few moments. I want you to understand where Jacob is for just a few moments. Jacob had been dwelling in Shechem. And as you study his life, you begin to realize that God had other plans for him. He wanted Jacob to go to Bethel, and Shechem was a place of tragedy. It was a place of failure in the eyes of the Lord and in his family specifically. You see, Jacob's sons were were men that were were going and doing things that were not right. You think about Jacob being knocked down in the very moments leading up to his life. As we come to this passage of Scripture, Jacob had been knocked down, but God was telling him to get back up. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that I serve a God where when I'm knocked down, he doesn't stay, stay to stay, stay down. He says, get back up. It's still time to serve me. He says, it's still time to, to move forward. It's still time to do something. And so as you think about Jacob here, he's been told to arise and go to Bethel and notice these words. The Bible says, and God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and notice these words, dwell there. Dwell there. He goes and the Bible continues and says, Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And this is the time of worshiping the Lord here. So all of Jacob's life up to this point, Jacob is being dealt with and Jacob is being worked in and his life is being worked on. And the verses that follow after verse number one are very vital verses to the Christian life of understanding living a Christ-centered life because Jacob's life was not Christ-centered in these moments. And God was having to do a work within his life and try to show some things and, and shed some insight for us this morning to help us understand that we need to live our lives in such a way where we don't do what we just want to do, but we do what God wants us to do. I don't want to end my life saying, hey, I had a good time. I enjoyed life. No, I want to end my, my days living saying I did all I could for Christ and I truly know I lived in the center of God's will. I didn't just do this because I enjoyed it. I did it because I enjoyed serving my Lord and living for God. Notice the Bible says in verse number 2, right in the middle, then Jacob said unto his household and all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. As you go again and study the life of Jacob, you'll find that he was very passive in some things. He'd been living with all this. He allowed corruption to enter in. He allowed certain things to go on. Can, let, me, let me start for just a moment because this is a word to the men of, of our church. Men, it starts with us. What are we allowing to creep into our homes? What are we allowing to creep into our lives because it feeds on down? Some of us have maybe lived a life that the Lord would not be pleased with. And can I share with you that it starts within the men of our church? And what are we allowing God to do with us? 
I hate it whenever I see within certain homes that the spiritual leader is not the man, but it is the woman. Because that's never what God intended for it to be. But we're living in a society where we're seeing that far too often. Where people are going to church, but that's exactly what they're doing. They're just going to church. That men are not leading their families into the house of God any longer. I'm grateful that I was in a home that whenever I was growing up, that it wasn't that my mom said it. It was that Rick said, this is what our family is doing. Because he knew that God had called him to lead the home. And he said, hey, God has called us to move from Columbus, Indiana to Columbus, Georgia. It was not that he wanted to, but he said God had called it. It wasn't that my mom said, I don't want to. He said, this is what God has said. God is leading us here. We have to do this. We need some men to lead once again in the homes. And when you see this word right here, and God said unto Jacob, you go throughout scripture and you'll see this truth. You think about Joshua 24, 14 or 15. As for me and my house, who's saying it? Joshua's saying it. You go and you look at individuals all throughout scripture. We need some men to lead the homes. But you see the corruption here. He says, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. You allow the passiveness, you allow all of this to creep in. The Bible is very clear about these things. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. It doesn't say some filthiness. All filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. First John 1 7, but if he walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another as the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. You see, sin will begin to rot in a home. Sin will begin to rot within a church. Sin will begin to rot within the Christian life. Bitterness ought not be there. Revenge ought not be there. Jealousy ought not be there. Greed, anger, hate, covetousness, lust, immorality, filthy thoughts and talk, harmful addictions. All of those things ought not be in the child of God's life. You say, well, what's the scripture say about it? I'm glad you asked. In Colossians 3, verse 8 and 9, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Ephesians 4, verse 22 says that ye put off concerning the former conversion, the old man, which is the corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So all of this is taking place within the life of Jacob and within his family. Up to this point in Jacob's life, you have seen that God has been doing a work and how he saved Jacob and how he softened Jacob's life and how he separated Jacob. And now you come to where right this very moment he is sanctifying Jacob. In these verses leading up, we see the sanctification process taking place in the life of Jacob. All to bring him to a point of living a Christ-centered life. When God convicts you, do you get angry at God? When God gets your attention, do you get angry with him? You see, you ought to thank him. I'm so grateful that I have a God in heaven who cares so much about Josh Farmer that when Josh Farmer takes a step in the wrong direction, that the Holy Spirit says, you know you're not supposed to go that way. That he doesn't allow me to just say, hey, you know what, go there. I'm not going to say a word to you. No, he tries to get our attention through the preaching of his word, through the devotional life that we live, through the Holy Spirit's leading within our lives. But oftentimes, we just simply ignore it. And so in these verses right here, we find some things that are taking place that lead him to understand that he needs to get his life back in order and live a Christ-centered life. There's a ceasing to some things. Put away the strange God, he says. 
He goes on and there's a cleansing. He says, be clean if you would. There's a changing of your garments. There's a committing. Arise and go up to Bethel. There's a complying in these verses right here. And they did exactly what God would have them. Why? Because the Lord was trying to get his attention that you need to live a Christ-centered life. One of the great joys that I find in pastoring is seeing people get their lives back on track. I love it. There's just something special about when someone says, Pastor, I need to talk to you about something. And they begin to reveal to me the Lord has been working their lives and they've made some decisions in the right direction. I love it. There's just something about it. There's something about watching the Christian and every single one of us make the decisions of doing the right thing, the Lord's thing, if you would. So notice with me, if you would, briefly three things that we see in this passage of Scripture. The introduction was long. The message is short. I pray it will be a help to you. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. Notice the place, if you would, here. In this passage of Scripture, we see the place. And when you consider Bethel, and you begin to consider Shechem, you begin to consider the simple truth that the Bible says, Go up to Bethel. You see, it was about a thousand feet up in elevation from Shechem. And as you think about that, it was not only important to note that it was higher in geographic zones, but it's also higher morally and it's higher spiritually. You see, the Lord would never desire for the child of God to go down. He always desires for us to go up. And as you think about this passage of Scripture, and you think about what the Lord is trying to do in His life, this place of Bethel was a place of sacred memories. It was at Bethel that Abraham the pilgrim first staked his claim to Canaan and built his first altar in the land. It was back to Bethel that he had come, and it was a disastrous backsliding in his own life in Egypt. It was at Bethel that Jacob first met God. It was the first time of a believing man. Bethel, this is not just a place of, of going back to, but it was a place of home, if you would. This place that you begin to consider, this place, Bethel was a place that, as you look at the life of Jacob, was not only something that he was told to do, but he needed to do. There are some of us this morning, you're sitting in the house of God, but you are as far from God as you could possibly be. You're running in the opposite direction. You, you can't wait for the service to end because conviction is set on you right this very moment. You know you're running from God. You know you're living in sin. You know you're doing something you ought not to, and the Lord's trying to get your attention. You're just saying enough with all of it. And maybe right this very moment you're sitting there and you're saying, I can't handle this any longer. Well, then quit fighting. Run back to the Lord. Why is it that far too often in many of our lives we think that this world has so much pleasure to truly offer? Can I share with you, living the Christian life, is there's something sweet about it. There's joy in meeting with God in the morning. There's joy in meeting with God throughout the day. There's joy in meeting with God in the evening. It's a Christian life that the Lord desires for us to live. You notice the place here, but notice the purpose, if you would. The Bible says dwell there. Dwell there. You see, the word of God is very clear as it says dwell there and make there an altar unto God. The purpose of all of this. And Jacob's family, his family was in a mess. And Bethel represents a, a holier place, a more honorable place, if you would. And we come to realize that Bethel here speaks of the house of God. I remember sitting in a preacher's fellowship and there was a preacher who was preaching on Bethel for just a few moments. And he, he, I remember him saying that he said Bethel speaks of the house of God. But the sad reality is there are far too many churches that are not the house of God any longer, but they're a house of games nowadays. And we see that within many of our churches that there are many churches that we have the pretty facilities, we have the Sunday school hours, we have the, the all of the property, we have all these things, but we don't invite people to come and worship God. We invite people because we're just playing games with God. 
And we're going to find within our lives, and as the days go on, the longer we play games with God, the more missed opportunities we're going to have. And there's going to come a day when we look back and we say, how did this happen? And so as you come to this portion of Scripture, Bethel, the purpose behind all of it concerning this, build there an altar unto God. As you think about the place here and you think about what is going on, this is going to be a place of revitalization. This is going to be a place of faith renewed in Jacob's life. You're going to see his name exit the scene for quite a while. And the next time you see him, he's going to be speaking with boldness. He's going to be pointing his family in the right direction. He's going to be doing a work that God needed him to do. Why? Because he finally centered his life on the right thing. We see finally the preparation. This is where it all comes to this morning. In verse number two, the Bible says this. Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. In verses one and two, you begin to realize within the preparation of living a Christ-centered life that every single one of us have to cast out some idols within our lives. He says, put away the strange gods that are among you. This morning for the child that may be here in video games and all of these many things are come first in your life before God, that is considered an idol. For the the dad that all of your hobbies are first and foremost in your life before God that is an idol. For the mother that that makes sure that the house is tidy and that, that all of this is fixed in order, but you don't spend any time with God that has become an idol. You see, in all of our lives, we have to evaluate and say, Lord, are there idols within my life that are not allowing me to keep you first and foremost? Lord, that are allowed, allowing me to make sure that you're center within my life, within every single one of our lives, we have to ask ourselves, Lord, show me my idol. But we don't want to. We don't want to ask the Lord to show us the idol within our lives. Why? Because we know that's exactly what he'll do. And the moment he shows us is the moment we're responsible to do something about it. And that's a struggle within the Christian life. Many of us will never live, truly live the Christ-centered life because we are so selfish and we want to do what we want to do. Why? Because that sin nature creeps up. We don't crucify it. We don't kill it. Why is our society today, why are abortion rates up? Why are our divorce rates up? Why is suicide rates up? Why is drug rates up? Why are alcohol rates up? Why are all those things up? Not because of God's word, but because of man. Because of the selfishness of man. Because we haven't gotten alone with God. We haven't begged of God to deal with us so that we could go out and be used to reach other people. Because there's idols in our lives. It's inconvenient. Notice with me, if you would, what he goes on in verse number two. He says, he says, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Not only did they cast out some idols within their lives, but they began to change their lifestyle. Can I ask you the question? How long is it going to take for many Christians to live in such a way where they continue to miss it and they're living in such a way where they're saying, I'm unhappy. I'm going to church on Sunday, but I'm still unhappy. I'm going to church on Sunday, but I'm still unhappy. I'm going, what are you doing with God? Look, I commend you for being in the house of God on a Sunday morning. But is that really as far as your spirituality goes? Is that as far as your relationship with God goes? Did you just attend on a Sunday morning, but you have no desire to live for him? You have no desire to get alone with God during the week? You have no desire to, to really get into the, the, the stillness of, of the quietest place and say, Lord, I just want to dwell with you. You don't have any desire to open the word of God. You have no desire to spend time in prayer. Is that as far as your spirituality goes? As you think about these words that are being made here, and you think about the situation that he has found himself, the word of God says, put away the strange gods that are among you. And be clean and change your garments. There was a time when they had to change their lifestyles. 
The saddest reality of the way that Christianity is defined now is, is not defined by what the Word of God has to say anymore. We've allowed Christianity to be defined by what the world says is okay. And so now you're seeing the world creeping into the church. You're seeing churches that are being started that have no desire to preach the Word of God, but they just want to begin by reaching people with the world's philosophies. You see, the world's philosophies is what got us in this mess in the first place. And it's many Christians who have done nothing about it that is continuing to allow it to take place. In verse number three, the Bible goes on and says, and let us arise, go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way in which I went. They began to count their blessings within their own lives. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way in which I went. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then there comes a final decision. In verse number 1, the Bible says, Dwell and make there an altar unto God. And so that still, up to this point, has not been done. Is he going to do it? What's the altar speak of? The altar speaks of a devotion, if you would. It speaks of loyalty, of of observance, if you would. It speaks of surrender, of submission and yielding. It speaks of separation, being moved apart, set apart, away from. It speaks of consecration. It speaks of the act of declaring sacred. It speaks of a sacrifice to offer or be offered. And that is the issue within many of our lives is that we're unwilling to get to the place where we truly get to doing business with God. Hey, we're willing to address some of those idols for a season. We're willing to change our lifestyle for a season. But what does the altar speak of? The altar solidifies these things in those words, devotion, surrender, separation, consecration, and sacrifice. I'm asking you this question. Will you prepare the altar? Are you going to live a Christ-centered life? The Bible says in verse number 6, So Jacob came to lose which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar. Why? Because he knew my life was off track, my life is not Christ-centered, and so God has told me to go, and I know some things that need to be dealt with. He dealt with those things, but then he just solidified it with these words right here that are found, and he built there an altar. The Christ-centered life. And this morning, maybe you're here, and you're struggling in this area. You say, Pastor, my, my, my life is all a mess right now. I, I'm going about these things. I'm seeking after these things. I'm running after these things. I'm going in this direction. It seems as though nothing is, is panning out. It seems as though all I keep getting is problem after problem and trial after trial and trouble after trial. Can I ask you this question? Where's Christ at? Is he the center of your life? A Christ-centered life looks like this. A Christ-centered life looks like this within your life personally. When you are beginning to desire something, you say, God, do you desire this? No? Okay. I'm going this direction. Is this the direction you want me to go, Lord? Okay. I won't go that direction. A Christ-centered life says, Lord, what do you want? A Christ-centered life says, Lord, I want to do your will. A Christ-centered life says, Lord, I want to live the Christian life. A Christ-centered life says, I want to go to the house of God. I don't have to go to the house of God. You see, all of these many things within our lives, there are many things that take place and many days that go about and we're not living a Christ-centered life. A Christ-centered life means, God, you have all of me, not just some of me. Why are we seeing so many Christians falling by the wayside? Because we're trying to do it in our own strength. 
Paul understood this when he made that statement and he began to talk about the Lord working in his own life. And he was writing to churches and saying, listen, this is the way. Walk ye in it because this is what God would have for you to do with your life. And hey, make sure you're not doing this and make sure you address this. And don't worry about me. God is still advancing the gospel. And each of Paul's writings, he is writing because he has gotten a hold of God and his life is centered around some things that the Lord is trying to work within his life. And he realizes that when he sins, he needs to get it dealt with and he needs to get back on track. Why? Because he wanted to live a Christ-centered life. I close with this this morning. As you walk through Genesis chapter number 35, and you begin to think about these words, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest. Can I encourage you to come back? There are families this morning that are hurting. Maybe you're here with us, or maybe you're watching on a live stream. Come back. There are individuals who have gotten away from God and the things of God. Come back. There are churches that are running and churches that are doing things of the world's philosophies. Come back. There are pastors that are hurting and running. Come back. There are missionaries. There are moms and dads. There are children. Come back. You say, come back to what? Come back to God. I remember in those moments whenever I was running and saying, Lord, I don't want anything to do with this. And I remember running and running and running for those many days. And the Lord was dealing with me and working my heart. Those were miserable days. It wasn't until I came unto the Lord and realized that He had so much more for me than I thought. God can do so much with every single one of our lives if we would just keep Him at the center. This morning, maybe you're struggling, maybe you're hurting, there are some things you need to do. Maybe there are some specific things that need to be given up. Maybe there are some specific places that need to be in view. The church of God, the house of God needs to be one. Getting back into the house of God, not just because you make it a habit, but because you truly desire to get something from the Lord, to worship the Lord. And some things need to be done. The Bible says, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garment. There are many Christians all across our nation that are unhappy this morning. And you're unhappy because you've walked into the house of God and instead of saying, Lord, I want to worship you, you've walked in with a spirit of, Lord, let's see what you can do. You're in the house of God, and I commend you for that, but you're as far from God as you could possibly be. You see, we see that evident in the life of Judas. Judas saw it all. Judas experienced some of the miracles. Judas was walking close by Jesus. He is a far away. And I wonder how many of us this morning, you've walked in the house of God, and you're struggling, you're hurting, and you need to get rid right some things. You need to get rid of some things. You need to make sure that you address some of these things because you need to live a Christ-centered life. Would you bow your heads, eyes closed, heads bowed for just a moment. This morning, my prayer is very simple. The Lord has dealt with me many days on this one subject matter of living a life that is Christ-centered. And it's not just something that needs to be talked about. It's something that needs to be lived out. And maybe this morning, you know, that's exactly you. You've been doing good things. You've been showing up to the house of God. You've been maybe even reading your Bible, but you're reading it in such a way where you're just trying to get finished. You've been spending time in prayer, but you have no desire to truly commune with the Lord. You're just saying a prayer to make sure that when someone asks you if you've been praying, you can say, yeah, I pray. But it all boils down to this one understanding that you truly just haven't been living a life that is centered around Christ. You've been trying to do your own thing. You've been trying to go about things your own way. 
You say, Pastor, that is me. I don't want to live these days and I don't want to continue to live in this way where I go about my days and miss what God wants to do with my life. I want my life to be consumed with Christ. I want the Lord to have preeminence. I want to live a Christ-centered life. And the Lord has dealt with me on this. And I need to do business with the Lord. I just need your prayers. I'm not going to call you out. But I want to pray for you. You say, that is me. I desire so much to live a Christ-centered life. And I know I have not been. Would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand? You say, that's me. I see those hands. This morning, maybe you're sitting there. And right this very moment, you say, I... I try to live a Christ-centered life, but Pastor, I, I'll be honest with you. There's some idols that the Lord has dealt with me on that I need to get right. I keep going through these motions where I make a decision, then I go back on the decision. I make a decision, I go back on the decision. I need your prayer. Would you just slip up your hand? You say, that's me. I see those hands. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, I don't desire to live a life that is just going through the motions and making it. Lord, I want my life to be a life that is completely given to you. A life that is used for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I don't want to miss it. Help us this morning to live a Christ-centered life. We'll thank you for it. Be with this time of invitation. We'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.